Come on, give somebody a holy high five today next to you in church or a fist bump or elbow tap or whatever suits you. You know, today, just really believe the Lord is just smiling down on us, just smiling down on this place. Shared this a little bit during the first service. Oftentimes we think that God's view of us or God's feeling about us is based on our performance or our behavior. One of the things that I've said and I've heard other believers say, and it's an interesting thing, is like, oh, I had a good week. Like, I did the right stuff, and so God must be happy with me because, you know, I checked my Bible reading plan box and I gave something in the offering and I served last month in kids' ministry, so God's happy with me. He loves me. And maybe we don't even believe that, but on the inside, we kind of feel that. We, in, we sort of have this internal thing that God is smiling at me when I do the right stuff and he must be really mad at me when I'm not doing so good. And the reality is our position in the family of God is because of the blood of Jesus. And it's based on the work of the cross and what Jesus did for us. And as we receive Christ's sacrifice every day, no matter how good or bad you were yesterday, you can come in the presence of God, come boldly to his throne of grace and say, Father, I'm here to adore you. I'm here to worship you. I think some of the most powerful worship comes from understanding that we don't approach God to get accepted. We approach God because we've been accepted. Hey, I'm preaching right now. Come on. We're not talking about the ducks today. Come on, somebody. So let's just talk about a kingdom that never fails, right? I think I told somebody one time, I said, hey, no matter what happens on Saturday, God always wins on Sunday. So I'm excited about that. Because even your NFL teams, even if you're a Patriots fan or something, like they lose sometimes. But God never fails. He never loses. And, and I want you to know today that God is smiling at you, not because of how good or bad or whatever, but because he loves you. This, this morning as we were uh, get, checking our kids in, my daughter Penny, she's six years old. She's a handful. She's two handfuls. She came running out of the class and she jumped into my arms and gave me a big hug. Daddy! As if I haven't just seen her an hour ago. And I thought, yeah, that's what I'm all about. Come on. And the Lord feels that way about you. You, you need to hear this today. God is crazy. Your Father in Heaven is crazy about you. He loves you very much. He loves you, as I tell my kids, how much does Daddy love you? I love you this much. And I tell them, I can't get my arms wide enough to tell you how much I love you. And then we have a little game, like, I love you more. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. Do you know that's what this moment is with God is, Lord, I love you more. And he goes, no, I love you more. And uh, man, I just, I love, I love God. And I'm, I'm glad that we're here together worshiping him. And I pray that today you leave. And if you don't get anything else out of the message, that you know that your father in heaven loves you and he's for you. And he's helping to make you the person he created you to be, but he doesn't accept you because of your performance. He accepts you because you're washed in the blood of Jesus. And when he looks at you, he sees Jesus and he sees his righteousness. And you can be happy and, and joyful about that today as we grow in our righteousness and walk with the Lord. So guys, I'm excited to be in church today. We are starting a brand new series uh, about Christmas carols. How many of you know we're in the Christmas season? And... Uh, I'm seven uh, years old, but I still love to get Christmas presents. How about you, right? Anybody over 50 in the room that's like, I still want Christmas presents. Come on. 
Bethany and I, we, we, um, we just tell each other what we got each other for Christmas. That's kind of the stage of life that we're at. We do have some surprises, I suppose, but right, it's mostly, uh, hey, what's your list? And then, and then I, thank you, this is what you got me for Christmas. And uh, we enjoy that. But Christmas is such a wonderful season. And it's wonderful uh, for so many reasons. But, but I think the, the main reason it's wonderful is because we celebrate the fact that God didn't leave us in our mess. But he sent his son Jesus as the greatest gift ever. And whether that happened on December 25th or not isn't really the point. What the point is, is that God looked down at us and said, I love you and I'm going to come down and I'm going to be there with you. And so as we talk about these Christmas carols over the next couple of weeks, it's interesting that their carols aren't just nice songs that we sing, you know, at Christmas time. If you actually read the lyrics and you study the story even of these songs and some of the writers of these songs, they're so rich and deep in theology and truth. And so we're going to be examining these and pulling some biblical truth that might be hidden or woven into these songs. In uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we, we hear the Christmas story as given by Jesus' disciple Matthew Levi. Matthew wrote his gospel primarily to a Jewish audience to basically explain who Jesus was to the Jewish audience. And so they really cared about genealogies. They really cared about where someone came from. And so Matthew does a lot about that. He talks a lot about that. And he also talks about the prophetic uh, presentation of Jesus. And we see this here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Somebody say, "Uh uh-oh. I just wonder how many people in Catholic school use this excuse. You know what I mean? It's not... It's the Lord's baby. I mean, you know, so let, that's funny. I don't care who you are. That's, that's funny. You're feeling a little like you might get struck by lightning today. And you might, but it won't be for that joke. So this is the, the, the story of Christmas is kind of a scandal. Let's just be honest. Who's, you know, Joseph finds out his fiance, his betrothed wife is pregnant. And uh, uh, it's the Immaculate Conception. Now, for some of you football fans, you think it's a football catch. That's the Immaculate Reception. This is the Immaculate Conception, okay? But it says in verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph is an honorable guy. He's a compassionate man. Even though this was a big no-no in this society and, and he doesn't know the story yet, it's just kind of like she's pregnant. He decides, I'm just going to, uh, you know, do this quietly. I don't want to disgrace her put her to shame. But in verse 20, it says, after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is from God. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place, Matthew tells us, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet And this is the words of the prophet Isaiah from 700 years previous or 700 years before this moment. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isn't this amazing? God in the Christmas story, as Jesus is sent, as Jesus comes and for Joseph and Mary in this moment, Matthew's telling us, hey, this was set up prophetically. God was already doing this. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, rewind 700 years in history, this was a a moment where the king of Israel was nervous about some enemies that were attacking Israel. And he says, Isaiah, I need a sign. Give me a sign. Have you ever been in trouble? And I'm talking about like real trouble, like 
the whole world revolves around what is happening right now. Maybe it's a health crisis. Maybe it's a relational crisis. Maybe it's a job issue. Or maybe you're worried about Mario Cristobal getting hired away to the Miami Hurricanes, as I am at this exact moment. Let's just intercede right now in Jesus' name. We just... <laughs> but if you've ever been in deep trouble, you know that it becomes like the whole thing. And oftentimes in those moments, it's like, God, I need a sign. Give me a, a sign. And like God often does, rather than necessarily putting a band-aid on the, the right now, owie, he, what he often says is, I want to help cure the actual disease at the source. And I want to do something that is a lot larger and a lot bigger in you and through you and in this moment than you even anticipate. And so what Isaiah says to the king of Israel is he says in Isaiah 7, 14, the Lord, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The king's worried about these enemies that are here in the, in, the, in, the, in the short term. And the prophet says, no, God is going to help you, but it's not going to be necessarily in this exact moment. What God's going to do is actually solve the real problem that the world has by not being absent, not being far off, and not just staying up in heaven and saying, good luck, guys. But by coming in the person of Jesus, this virgin's going to conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him his name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is one of the most incredible, deep truths and realities of the Christian faith that we're going to talk about today as we talk about the Christmas carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This idea that God is not far off, he's not absent, he's not so transcendent and away from us that he's untouchable, but he is Emmanuel, God with us. And, and this truth is so powerful that even in our day-to-day -day struggles and crises, even like this king is going through this crisis, the word of the Lord to him then and the word of the Lord to us today is I'm here, Emmanuel, God with us. The answer is among us. The, the answer is here. The Christmas carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, was, uh, the words were actually written in Latin in 1710. And that's, you know, precedes a few of us. Some of you were alive then, but most of us know. And uh, I'm just teasing. Uh, but the words were written in Latin. Uh, but actually this was over a, uh, I think a, a, a chant that was written in 1510. So it has ancient, ancient history to this tune. Uh, o come, O come, Emmanuel. But the English version, the popularized version that we know today, the words that we, we have translated from Latin came out in 1851. This word Emmanuel, as I've said, it means God with us. And I love this Christmas carol. I've always loved it. It's beautiful. The music's incredible. We're going to sing it after the message today. <clears throat> so don't worry, you'll get to hear the song and we'll sing it together. But it's, I've always loved this carol for the, the beautiful melody, the beautiful harmonies and, and the, uh, the, the beautiful uh, sound of this Christmas carol. But when you actually lean into the words of this song, it is such an incredible cry for deliverance and a proclamation of hope that we don't serve a God that is far off, but we rather have Emmanuel, God with us. And that that is the true meaning and value and worth of Christmas, to celebrate the fact that we have a God that cares, that is here, that is present, Emmanuel, God with us. The words of the song, you're probably familiar, but we're going to put them up on the screen and go through them. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. 
From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory or the grave. This is how you know it's a Christmas carol because we get rid of V's, right? Like or, we don't say over. You know what I'm talking about? It's or, apostrophe E-R, or, right? You guys, it's okay to laugh. I mean, it was a bad joke, but hopefully you're just so engaged in this message, leaning in, that you can't even laugh at the jokes, but maybe, or maybe it was just a bad joke. I'll get better. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou dayspring from on high, and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou key of David, come, and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high, and close the path to misery. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Father, I pray today as we study this Christmas carol and we, we get into the spirit and the season of Christmas that, Lord, you would open our hearts and minds to receive your word. God, I pray that these truths that we're going to examine today, Lord, would, would penetrate our hearts and would find good soil to be planted in. I pray that as we leave today, we would be filled with hope and expectation for the future, but also filled with courage that we have a God that is not absent, but is present in our times and seasons, in our circumstances and in our right now moments that, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three themes that I see in this Christmas carol to be explored that are so rich, uh, that, that tie into the biblical narrative. Now let me talk about the Bible for a second because oftentimes when I talk to disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, as they kind of give little tid tidbits and clues about their Bible reading, is I hear this kind of a, what I would call the vitamin approach to Bible reading. Now, every day I, I take vitamin C. Anybody else take vitamin C? I love vitamin C. I go to Costco. They have like that, you know, vat of vitamin C for like 15 bucks. You know what I mean? How many of you know at Costco, everything's bulk, right? You're like, I went to Costco and I got three pairs of slippers for $9.99. Like, that's how it works, you know? Six jars of mayonnaise, right? It's just how it works at Costco. So the, the vitamin C comes in bulk. Every day I go to the cupboard, I open it up and take my vitamin C. And like, that's just my whole health approach, right? Somebody could say, Jake, you have leprosy. I'd be like, just give me some vitamin C. You know, that's just how it is. Anybody else with me? You know, I just think vitamin C cures everything. Anyways, I don't know if it does, but it, it tastes like oranges. So it's good, you know. So a lot of Christians have this sort of vitamin approach to scripture. They're like, okay, I'm going to read the Bible. So I, I open it up and I, I find a little snippet. I read Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And we go, oh, I just feel blessed today. I took my vitamin. And you go, yeah, well, I mean, God, you know, yeah, he does have thoughts of peace, not of evil for you. That's true. But like, actually the context of this verse is to this people group in Babylon, and there's this exile, and there's actually a deeper, richer truth. And as you sort of zoom out, you look at the context of the chapter, you look at the context of the book, and then ultimately as you zoom all the way out and look at the context of the whole Bible, what you find is that the Bible isn't really just like daily vitamins for you, but rather it's this great feast. And when you understand the whole story and these great movements and this meta-narrative that the Scripture is presenting, it's really the true story of reality and it really is these four movements that we'll talk about here in just a second. When you actually understand the Bible in the rich context and the richness of the whole thing, it's like sitting down to a steak dinner rather than a vitamin. Now, like I said, I love some vitamin C, but man, you put a T-bone steak on a plate in front of me with some potatoes and some broccoli that's a little bit charred on the edges because somebody cooked it in a cast iron pan like Americans are supposed to. 
that Teflon out of here. That's, that's, a whole nother, that's a whole nother story, isn't it? Last week, we went down to, or two weeks, I think it was, whenever it was, around Thanksgiving, we went down to Medford, and my mom had made long sauce, like the bolognese, the meat sauce, I mean, the whole thing, cooking all day, and it was cooking all day, and you could smell it. I had to do a Zoom call, and I was on this Zoom call, and I was like almost in tears. As I'm like, people are talking, and I'm like, let's go. Because I could smell the feast. And then that night, as we sat around the table, and everybody had heaping plates of this spaghetti and meat sauce. How many of you at second service are like, this is hurting me, right? I just, there was a huge run at Beppe and Gianni's and Placido's after church today. People went to get pasta. Don't worry, I'm going somewhere with this, not just to tantalize you with food. That is what God wants to do with your daily Bible intake is give you a meal, a rich spiritual diet of meat, of the, of the good stuff when you understand the whole thing. And you go, what does this have to do with the Christmas carol? Well, it has a lot to do with it because these writers of these carols, they weren't just vitamin takers. They were, they were eating the meat of scripture and understanding what God was doing through the whole story and through the whole book. You see, when you understand the movements of the Bible, the Bible really takes part in about four acts, four great movements of this story of reality. Number one is the story of creation where God, who existed, exists, is self-existent one, he created all things brand new and he said, it is good. The, God's intention for creation was that it, and, and what it was originally was good. There was nothing bad about it. It was good to the last drop. But then in act two, we see the fall of man where Adam and Eve decided, hey, we, we want to be in charge and we think we know better than God what right and wrong are. And we're still singing that tune to this day. We all think, hey, I know what's right. I know what's wrong. And what we often find out is that we mostly just put ourselves first and we kind of make a mess of things. And the fall of man really did make a mess of things. And the world that we observe around us of sickness and darkness and division and all of these problems that are easily observable, corruption, is because of the fall in Act, in act 2 of the story. But then in Act 3, after thousands of years of history, Jesus shows up. It's the story of Christmas. And Act 3 is about salvation and about redemption where God because of his great love the love that I shared with you this morning as I began he said I'm not going to leave my children in that condition but I will provide a way of rescue and we see in the person of Jesus Christ that God shows up Emmanuel God with us in our story lives a perfect life dies on the cross for our sins and raises from the dead which leads, leads us to act chapter or act four of this whole story not in the book of acts but act four of the bible which is restoration or glory. We're going to talk about this later, but act four is the reality that this world is not our home and that there is a new heavens and a new earth coming and that when you put your trust in Jesus, death doesn't get the final say, but we're resurrected to live with God and with each other in, in peace and in harmony and, and a new creation. And when you understand that the Bible is not just about giving you vitamins to get through your day. You know, people will say really cutesy little Christian phrases like, Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. I really don't like stuff like that. I'll tell you why. Number one, it's corny. Stop it. But number two, I don't like it because what it gives us is it, make, it turns the Bible into something so small, it turns it into a vitamin rather than a feast. Because when I make it all about me and what I get out of it right now for my daily thing, which you do get something out of it right now, don't get me wrong, but when I lose sight of the grand story, then I really am not getting the richness and the feast of what God wants to show me. 
And so we see in this carol three themes that are coming out of this rich biblical feast, the story of reality. Number one, this idea of exile and the tyranny of evil. I love adventure stories. I love Lord of the Rings. You know, I'm a nerd. I love that stuff, right? And the great fantasy writers or or adventure writers, story writers like Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, they knew how to give this sense of, man, the world that we're in and the the circumstances we find ourselves in are like, we can't endure them. We have to get out of them. So we have to go on this great quest to get out of this space. And I think we as human beings in 2021 and throughout history have intuitively known from our very bones that something isn't right with this environment that we're in. It's like we're, yeah, we're meant to be here on earth, so we're not necessarily like from a different planet, but, but it doesn't feel right. It's a sense of exile, the sense that this world is not my home. We, we know that something's wrong. We see evil at work in the world. You know, there's this myth of progress that human beings have been getting better since the dawn of time, and all you have to do is open your eyes to realize that's totally false. Because actually, as our technology advances, we just find new ways to be corrupt with it. As our medicine advances, we just find new ways to oppress people with it. Isn't it interesting that now in the medical, the whole medical industrial complex, all the medicine is designed to keep you sick so you can keep being a cash cow? Did you know that? You do now. Did you know that the whole division in politics, it's a game just to get you to hate each other so somebody can stay in power. We live under the tyranny of evil. This world is not our home. It's not, it's not right. And we know that from a deep level, at a deep level. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. The Christmas carol, this O come, O come, Emmanuel, it says, O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. We know that this world that was God made good isn't good right now. And we see that. And that's a theme that we see in this carol. We know that there's a problem. Jesus says in John chapter 8, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. We find ourselves in exile. We find ourselves under the tyranny of evil, the tyranny of sin, leading to the second great theme of this carol, When the the writer begins to say, from depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. And he says later, disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. What we know from the problem of our world is that our sin, our, our act of rebellion against God, both from the beginning and what we've also participated in our own lives, has led to separation from God. And the reality of death as our mortal foe, or literally our mortal foe, our, our great enemy. In the uh, early 1900s, one of my favorite uh, writers, G.K. Chesterton, he responded to a newspaper article. The newspaper article uh, was called What's Wrong with the World? And that was the title, the theme and topic of this article. G.K. Chesterton, in his beautiful, pithy, poignant way, he writes back just a very short note to the author of the article, and he says... Dear sir, regarding your article, What's Wrong with the World? I am. 
Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. You see, it's not enough just to see that the world outside is broken. We, we all are pretty good at that, saying, hey, there's brokenness in politics, brokenness in everything going on. Like, everything that's supposed to be good for humanity and this vision of utopia, it always turns into looking more like hell. We always turn God's garden into a garbage heap in every aspect of life. You can hand somebody perfect circumstances and then the root of evil out of their own heart will actually begin to corrupt what happens. We've experienced this. We've seen it. We've seen it. And Chesterton, in such a beautiful way, just says, look, where is the root? what is the root of it? Well, it's, it's me. It's, in, it's coming from the inside. And this sin and separation, it's the result of, it's the result, or the separation is the result of our sin. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The beautiful truth that we're going to talk about number three is that God didn't leave us in our mess, but the beauty of this cry for deliverance is we recognize it. We admit that our world's a mess and that's coming from the inside, but the wages of sin is death. That's our inheritance in the natural, but because of the work of Jesus, the gift of God is eternal life through him. And the third great truth or the third great theme out of this carol is that we have a heavenly home. O come, thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. As I spoke about that fourth act, that fourth act of human history that we see represented in the rich feast of the Bible, it is this truth that the world was good. It was broken by sin. Jesus is hope and the answer, and he's with us in the now, in, the, in this time before eternity, but someday he will come and he will make all things new. Listen to what he says in Revelation 21. This is John, Jesus' disciple. He, he has this revelation of the things of the end. And, and it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He that from the beginning made all new things and said it is good also declared, I'm coming back and I will make all things new again. And he started by planting a seed into our human story in the person of Jesus Christ who grew in Mary's womb, was born as a man with the God nature inside, but, but a human as well, who lived with us, who the writer of Hebrews says was tempted in all things yet without sin, and who gave his life as a sacrifice upon the cross. And when he died, death could hold nothing over him because he was not guilty. He was a sinless sacrifice. Therefore, death was broken. The grave was opened. Come on, the tomb was, the stone was rolled away and resurrection life invaded the story. You go, Pastor, you're preaching an Easter message. Well, these are connected, Christmas and Easter. <laughs> we'll have fun then, too. We'll just keep preaching it all the way till Easter. Because there is no greater message than Jesus came, he died, and, was risen, and rose again. Yeah. And by putting your faith and trust in him, you participate in what God is doing in the story. Yeah. 
Not only did you get to, to feast and feast at the table of God every day as you open the Bible. Come on, as much as I love my mama's meatballs, I love God's word more. Because man shall not live by garlic bread alone. Come on. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But in all seriousness, every day when I get into the word of God, I say, God, I am a participator in this story, in this adventure. Though I live in a world of exile that I know is not my home, I know that you said you're going to make all things new. And I stand as a prophetic proclamation right now in the midst of the mess that God is doing something good. If he can do something good in me, if he can do something good in you, then he can do something good in this city. Come on, he can do something beautiful in this community. God can do something good in this nation. Which is why we don't curse what God wants to bless. We don't curse our city. We don't curse our schools. We don't curse our neighborhoods. We say these are the people that Jesus died for just like me. They're brothers and sisters. And we, all, we want to come to the foot of the cross and worship God. He's coming to make all things new. These themes are in this carol. They're so beautiful. As we close today, I'm going to have the team come up. We're going to sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But I want to leave you with two takeaways, two truths to celebrate that come from this. Number one, as we've been talking about, God is with us now. Emmanuel, God with us. When my kids have nightmares, which they often do, not, I mean, not like, not like pandemic of nightmares or something, but, you know, every once in a while. They'll have nightmares and they'll come down in the night. 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, the, the you know, dark of night. And they're crying and scared. Oftentimes what Bethany or I will do is say, come here, come here. And we just give them a hug and we say these words, I'm here. I'm your dad. I'm here. You're okay. I'm here. You see, there's something about the presence of a father that chases away the shadows, that chases away the fear. And whatever you're walking through today, whatever nightmare, see, there's people here that are walking through a living nightmare. You need to understand that your father today is wrapping his arms around you. And he's, he's not saying necessarily that he's going to make everything go away. All the bad things are going to go away. No, you're walking through a fallen world. There are still going to be dark shadows. There's still going to be death. There's still going to be sickness and pain. Even followers of Jesus walk through those moments. But you're not alone because God is with us, Emmanuel. Jesus gets it. He's a man of suffering, acquainted with deepest grief. He was tempted like we were, but without sin. But he understands our weaknesses. He understands our trials. And the truth of this carol, the truth that comes from the Bible is God is Emmanuel, God with us. You have a God that is faithful through and through. And even when you feel like he's not there, he is. And number two, there's hope for the future. There is something so powerful about hope. When a person has hope, they will go through whatever they need to go through and they'll say, no, I see that light at the end of the tunnel. This might be the darkest valley that I've ever walked through. This might be the greatest scare. This might be the worst nightmare that I've ever journeyed through, but I have hope. And our hope comes from the truth of what God has done and what he is doing in the world. We can say, like Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. As a follower of Jesus, we can say, God is with me now, no matter what I go through, good, bad, up, down, whatever, he's with me now, but I also have hope 
for the future. As bad as things may get, as dark as it may get, I know that he is coming, as he said, trustworthy and true. He that made all new things will make all things new. Emmanuel, God with us. Church, would you stand up with me today? We're going to sing this song. We're going to celebrate this and we'll close out our service. But before we sing the Christmas carol, before we worship the Lord through these words and revel in this great feast of truth, I want to give an opportunity. If you could just bow your heads and close your eyes. If anybody's in this place, this is a great day to put your faith in Jesus Christ and to become his disciple. Right now in this moment, we get, we get this opportunity every Sunday and every week somebody, somebody says, yes, it's my day. If you want to give your life to Jesus and you want to become his follower, you want to repent of your sin and say, God, my life is yours. Would you just raise your hand so I can see? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. And we're just going to pray a prayer and we're going to give you some next steps after this to, to begin your journey of following Jesus. But I believe, as the scripture says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. God honors your choice and he's going to call you. He's calling you now to, be, to walk with him and be his disciple. This is the beginning of a beautiful journey. Let's all pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin and my failures. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for making me right with God. I give you my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Would you give me the grace to follow you all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's celebrate that decision today. We're going to sing this, uh, we're going to sing this Christmas carol. So let's just worship the Lord and uh, remember the, the words that we talked about, what this, this carol is about, that God is with us now and there's hope for the future. Let's sing, church. Oh,